Morning, everybody. Welcome to Restoration. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Um, you know, if you're, if you're new to this place or if you haven't been in a while, uh, you're like, what's with the chairs? I just wanted to kind of remind you why we're doing this. This is a, a concerted effort on our part to just feel and experience uh, worship together more as a community. And so um, I know it's probably different. Um, and, and the other part of it, actually, for this part, the teaching part, is really important because um, I don't you want you to ever think that, oh, uh, the guy speaking has it all together and has it all mastered, and he's now teaching you, <laughs> don't laugh, Mary, and he's teaching you uh, his, his shrewd ways. Listen, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you with this. Um, I just get the joy uh, of... of, of of doing this with you. So, um, so we're all in this together. We're all following Jesus together, and that's the, the whole point. A um, couple of things I just wanted to get you up to speed on. We're going to take our offering, actually. This is a good time to do that, right? So um, if you're new, you can let this go by. This is our, our, our way as a community of, of uh, it's really a worshipful time of saying, God, this is for you. Um, this is for this church. And so you can let this, you can let it go by if you're new. Um, if you're not really a part of this place, that's fine. Um, I wanted to let you guys know a couple of things, uh, a little, little couple of technology things. Uh, so you know, um, and this is really important, especially lately, I've, I've, I've been asked to, the, the quotes that we've been doing during the sermons, we, we actually put those up on, a, on, a, uh, on an app called Uversion. So if you have a Uversion, if you have the Uversion app, um, if you don't, there's actually instructions on the program to to download that. It actually has all the scripture and all the quotes that we use in our messages that you see on the screen. Um, that way you don't, you, you know, you don't have to like scribble it down really fast or, or especially you don't have to email me this week and bother me. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't mind that. So, but I mean, if you really do want, if you're uh, really a note taker and you were like, oh, that was really a good quote, um, we just would love to offer that for you. Um, and it's not, the instructions aren't on there. So, the, so I'm a liar. And uh, so the instructions aren't on there. If you actually download the Uversion app um, and you keep location services on, I'm getting really nerdy now, um, you can search for uh, local events. And this is one of them. So, um, and if you need help doing that, talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. Maybe someone near you. Um, if you're new and if you want to learn more about this place, next Sunday we're having a newcomer's lunch right after the service. So um, if, it, would, it would be great if you know you're coming to let us know. Otherwise, um, come next week and we will have some sandwiches for you and just to share with you a little bit about our church. A uh, number of you have said yes to uh, being part of possibly going to Houston and doing um, some recovery work down in Houston. It's a Thursday through Sunday morning. We're back Sunday morning. Actually, you might even land in time to drive straight here. Yeah, like you would do that, but you should. Anyhow, so uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, it's like a two and a half days of, of ripping uh, stuff out of a house um, and helping people get themselves to a place where they can, they can deal with uh, what's next. And so I'd love for you to be a part of that. If you haven't heard of that before, we're actually forming a team now, and we're just waiting to hear back from organizations in Houston. So we'd love to have you a part of that. 
There again, we need more people around here to help with children's and setting up and tearing down. And then last but not least, we're in the middle of reading the New Testament together. And so if you guys have been part of this, this this New Testament uh, that's just kind of reordered and, and it flows a little different. But this week, we start week three, which is First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans. And so if you'd like to jump in, like some of you are discouraged. You're like, man, I totally screwed up week one and I just put it down. No, just start again. Start again this week, week three. And uh, we'd love to have you a part of that. So we pray with me. We've got some really fun stuff to talk about today. Let's pray. God, thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for um, thank you for your Spirit who challenges us, convicts us, and also encourages us, and gives us the strength to to follow you. And um, God, we just pray, especially for today in this message, that you would that you would gently move us towards the center of what your kingdom look, looks like in regards to our money and in regards to uh, what we do with our money, this side of heaven. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we can agree um, money's, been, money's kind of a hard subject. Uh, if you're new to this place, we're in week three of fighting inertia. And the, the whole idea behind this series is what what effect does money have on us? And what, what, does, what does Jesus say, what does Scripture say about money, and how do we become people who are moving towards the center of the kingdom in regards to money? And, and we talk about how it, money has an inertia to it. It actually pulls at us, and it has a power in our lives that we uh, sometimes don't like to admit. And... Uh, we just sometimes don't believe it's there even. It's, it's even that sinister for us. Our uh, vision as a church is to um, recognize and participate okay, in the kingdom of God and to be people who live inviting and distinct lives of discipleship. And what that means is, is we're always trying to follow Jesus in, 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 in ways that are actually even difficult for us. And in the issue of money in Scripture is something that I think has a lot of tension to it. It has a lot of mystery in some ways. And I think that sometimes, uh, coming off the heels of the, the last series we did on Scripture, we, we tend to find a way to kind of make Scripture say the things that we want it to say, especially in areas of our lives that are pretty dear to us. And sometimes money is pretty dear to us. And uh, I just want to set the table a little bit today. Jesus talked a lot about money. He talked a lot about money. In fact, 16 of his 38 parables were about money and possessions. Um, He talked about how to handle money and possessions in those. And in the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses has to do with money and possessions. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's a huge amount that talks about it. And so what I want to do is just really, uh, my guess is that some of you are a little nervous about these conversations we're having on money, and um, I'm right there with you. 
And I would ask that you would give Jesus really a full hearing on, on, on this subject before you panic, <laughs> before you maybe get defensive, before you throw out some disagree flags. I just want you to give Jesus a full hearing. And I just want to, I just think that, and someone, someone really famous and scholarly once said, churches should be the most honest place in town, not the happiest place in town right? Like we should really just lean into some of these things that are hard and just be really honest about our lives and our money and, and what it looks like to follow Jesus. We said a few weeks ago that scripture tells an alternative story, okay, to the stories that we all live our lives by and some, some of the stories that affect us. And what scripture does is it, it actually ex- exposes the weak points in our stories, and by exposing those weak points in our stories, we're, we're kind of drawn to living a different way. And it shows us where we have holes, and it shows us where we have uh, right thinking and wrong thinking and right living and wrong thinking about things in our lives. And so last week we talked about, the, we really actually looked in the book of Proverbs when we talked about wealth and we talked about finances. And last week there was this verse we looked at, Proverbs 3, 9, we'll throw it up on the screen, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. And we talked about that word honor, and what that word honor actually means is giving weight. We actually give weight to, to God, to the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of our crops. And we also talked about how Proverbs, sometimes Proverbs become uh, what people actually take them to mean are promises, that that's actually a promise. That, uh, and in verse 10, we're not going to read it, but in verse 10, it actually says, then you're going to get more, right? And so we take that as a promise. And, and some uh, churches and some preachers have actually used this verse to mean some sort of a biblical principle. That if you actually honor God with your wealth, if you uh, send us $1,000, you know, we're going to, you know, God's going to take you out of debt or whatever, get you a new car or whatever. Um, they've actually used this as a biblical principle for life, and it's, it's not that. It's actually, these, these, these are true, but not all the time. But there's something powerful about honoring God with your wealth, honoring God with your stuff. Jesus actually picks up on this thinking when he tells one of his parables. In Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus begins to tell a, tell a parable in verse 16. It's, it's, well, let's start in verse 16, Aubrey, actually. Um, it says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get to have what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. That idea of not being rich towards God is that same kind of thing in Proverbs, honoring God with your wealth. That's, that's giving weight towards God. Now what's interesting is that Jesus 
um, uses this parable, and we'll talk about the context in which he uses it, but it's the same idea that, that honoring God and giving weight to God with your finances is the most important thing. Now, you might say, listen, this guy's just being a really good capitalist, right? I mean, it's kind of smart thinking. Um, hey, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta extend this um, this money to work for you um, in in the long term, right? You gotta set yourself up with some security to make sure that you have enough down the road. And and this is a piece of what we call the American dream, right? I mean, if we're all honest, uh, if you watch a football game today. Um, which you probably will. Um, count how many retirement ads are in the football game. Just count them. Prudential or, you know, just count them all up. And, and they all have this, this, this I mean, it, it's really innocuous. It's just kind of like this, don't, don't you want this? I mean, don't you want to just, you've worked so hard. And, you know, this idea that, and it's, it's part of the story we're told. But Jesus tells an alternative one. And, and I'm not knocking you if you have a 401k. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I, what I'm saying is, is that there is something that we have, um, we have become used to. There's, there's an aquarium that we're used to swimming in about all these things, about retirement and security and all these things. And Jesus talks about this guy in the parable being a fool. Being a fool. And he talks about this idea of, of giving riches towards God and pushing weight, pushing our chips, in a sense, towards the center of the kingdom. See, the problem clearly was not that the man happened to get wealthy. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that his, the center of his kingdom became him. And that everything it became about, how do I manage these things? How do I keep these things? Um, and, and, and maybe let's use some stronger words. How do I hoard these things? Okay? And so what does it look like to honor God with our wealth? Is it giving money to the church? No. I know that's like the worst thing a pastor should say, right? I mean... Um, like church growth 101, it just gave me an F for saying that. Um, that's not what we're talking about. Um, you're welcome to. We love that. It's necessary. Yes, but that's not what we're really getting at the heart here. The heart here is it turns out that honoring God with our wealth has a lot to do with, with, with what Jesus was focused on a lot in his ministry. And if we are to believe, as Scripture says, that Jesus was and Jesus is the exact representation of who God is, then the words of Jesus and the actions of Jesus and the intentions of Jesus actually mean something about who God is. Most of Jesus' life and ministry were around the poor. He spent his time with the poor and the marginalized. And he was always throwing rocks, verbal rocks, at the wealthy and the religious. 
And I know that's hard because, I mean, the reality is we're wealthy and religious people. We are. I mean, just by nature of the time and space that you were born and you grow, grew up and the place that you work in this time in history, we are the wealthiest people to ever walk the face of the earth. And you might think, well, I'm just middle class. Yeah. We, we have more things and more stuff and more access to goods and services than any people in the history of the world. And so um, these are just, I'm just throwing that out there. And what's interesting is that Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul describes Jesus in this way. And I think we have it on the screen. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This idea that Jesus shows up not as a wealthy king or a landowner or anything like that. He actually shows up as a peasant born in circumstances that are pretty much poverty. And so this idea that Paul says is that the riches of... I mean, yeah, he could have shown up as someone who was... Uh, a conquering king, a wealthy aristocrat, but he shows up as a poor little child. And then it goes on th from there. For three years in Jesus's ministry, he virtually was homeless, living off the generosity of others. And most of his ministry was done among the poor. Like he specifically sought out the poor communities everywhere he went. In fact, the first phrase in Jesus' inaugural speech proclaimed the Spirit of the Lord was on him and he, to proclaim good news to the poor. And he had this, we just can't overlook it, he had a special focus on the poor. And so what's interesting is there's this passage in Matthew 25 that's super interesting. It's one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. And it's, Jesus is teaching using a metaphor of sheep and goats. And for many years, I've actually heard sermons and pastors and preachers preach about this passage. And usually what they mean is um, that the sheep and the goats are going to get separated. And Jesus talks about this on Judgment Day on the basis of whether people believed in Jesus or not. But that's not what it says. It it's, uh, has nothing to do with that. Um, and it, and it, the, the sheep and the goats will be separated, not because people had a personal relationship with him or not, or attended church regularly or not. Okay? It actually says the sheep and the goats will be separated on the judgment day on the basis of whether or not they fed the hungry, whether or not they housed the homeless, clothed the naked, and befriended criminals. So not having good doctrine was not the issue. Not, uh, it was really actions toward the poor that were the issue. And Jesus said, we're going to separate these two groups. The ones that didn't help the poor and the ones that did on Judgment Day. And he goes on and he, and he says, it says in verse 44... Uh, 
They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. See, what's interesting is that actually the flip side of Jesus' solidarity with the poor is his anger towards greed. It's like he has both. He loves the poor and he has solidarity towards the poor. And there's this idea of, and greed meaning hoarding uh, more resources than you need. Um, and then the idea of gluttony, which is hoarding more food than you need. And, and, and towards the greedy and the gluttonous, this is, Jesus actually lists greed on the level right next to adultery. And, and that's actually in Matthew 7. He actually <laughs> lists those right there, neck and neck. Um, and he was criticizing his religious heroes of the day for being preoccupied with maintaining kind of a, a, a nice religious exterior. And their hearts were full of greed and, and self-indulgence. And, and Jesus says hard things. I mean, this is... I'm, Welcome. I mean, this is me too. I'm, I'm listening to myself, and I'm, I'm going to email myself later today. I'm so angry at myself. They, ne- they neglected the more important matters of the law, which were justice and mercy type things, to just continue to feed their own greed. So in other words, their religious appearance notwithstanding, okay, These people hoarded resources and didn't share with the poor. But they had that really good religious look to them. So the bottom line was that in Jesus' view, the omission to help the poor rendered the the rest of their religious behavior irrelevant. So according to Jesus, not helping the poor, he was just kind of, I don't really care what you're doing with religion. I don't really care what you're doing with going to church. or I, I really don't care if you're going to a Bible study. You're not, you're not helping the poor. Like you're not feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and healing the sick, visiting those in prison. So you remember the story about the guy, the good capitalist guy that built more barns? This is the reason why Jesus tells the parable. In verse 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide up the inheritance with me. So there's two brothers. One of them gets inheritance. The younger brother probably was just like, Dude, I should get half. Like, give me some. Right? That's how I'd be. I mean, let's just be honest. Younger siblings are the favorite ones in our time. Let's just be honest. But... But in those days, the oldest sibling, the oldest son, got the inheritance. And so this clown's like, hey, Jesus, tell my brother. Tell my brother to split it. And Jesus replies, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possession. So what Jesus is doing, he's saying, listen. I don't care how you resolve this. Don't let greed be the driver. 
Don't let your greed be the driver. See, Jesus, someone once said this, Jesus hadn't come to settle anyone's ethical, legal, or political problems. He rather came to unleash a movement that puts God's beauty on display while revolting against all that is ugly and contrary to his will in the world, including greed. So this guy's kind of got this motive, like, I, I, I want this money, I want this. And Jesus says, be, watch out, be careful of the inertia that's pulling you. Be careful of that power that's gripping you. Now, there's one other thing we need to talk about. And this is really an interesting thing to talk about. And um, in the Old Testament, there's a verse in Ezekiel. And we're not going to show it yet. Don't show it yet. Whew. Where Ezekiel talks about a group of people and the chief sin of this group of people was that they were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. And they did not help the poor and the needy. So he, his, his, his charge about this group of people, they were arrogant, they were unconcerned, and they did not care about the poor and the needy. They did not help the poor and the needy. And it's hard for us to notice sometimes that Sometimes the water we swim in, the, you know, the, the aquarium we swim in, we live in America, we have a lot at our disposal, it's easy to get more, but it's also easily to fall into a trap of greed and gluttony and hoarding our stuff. It just is. It's just really, really natural. It's super easy. And to be honest with you, teaching about this in a church in America... This is not something normally we teach about in church in America. This is a hard thing to teach about. And, and, and my guess is some of you are like, get over this. Like, let's get done with this series. And I can understand that. What's interesting about that verse in Ezekiel actually has to do with what group Ezekiel was talking about. See, Ezekiel was talking about the city of Sodom. The city of Sodom. Now, in all of scriptures, all the prophets, the city of Sodom is referred to and their chief sin of the city of Sodom. In fact, let's read the whole verse. The chief sin of the city of Sodom. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Nowhere in that verse does it talk about homosexuality. In all the verses that talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, none of them in the prophets talk about homosexuality. So can we have a really, really quick, frank conversation? In all of Scripture, there are literally only six verses that talk specifically about homosexuality. Yet that has become the biggest agenda of the American church over the last number of years. And there's been a culture war fought, and I, I just want to let you know that we lost the culture war, so stop fighting it. So here's, and, and I don't say that in a way that's saying I'm for homosexuality. I'm saying that in a way that doing that harms people. And so going back to this, okay, this is really important. I don't want to get into that. 
but this is very important. Thousands of times in scripture, it talks about greed and not serving the poor. And six times in scripture, it talks about homosexuality. So, what do you think is the real heart of God? I think it's serving the poor. And I think that what's interesting is we actually created a whole, it's where we get the word sodomy. Actually, we're greedy and hoarding Americans. We're kind of sodomites. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for that one. RyanAshley10 at gmail.com for any conversations. But I'm just throwing you what's there, okay? This is what's there. And so we, what makes this really sinister is that we're repeatedly talked about with greed and caring for the poor. And by it not mentioning homosexuality, Jesus actually in Matthew 7 talks about, remember the whole uh, dust in the eye and the plank in the eye thing? Like, this is our big issue. This is the issue. And we're doing a really horrible job at it. And the Bible has thousands of passages, literally thousands of passages that warn against hoarding food and resources and emphasizing the need to care for the poor. Thousands of passages. And so what's interesting is we hoard more than we need while others go without basic necessities. We, and you remember that hoarding God? That's actually mammon. That's actually that, that when Jesus says you can't follow God and mammon, that's actually the, the real good translation for that is hoarding God. And so let's just talk about what this looks like. Living with outrageous generosity and like, trying to get ourselves moving the needle in our lives that, that we're more intentional with our, our finances, that we're more giving, we're more, we're more seeking out ways to, to help people, to bring people up. It really comes about intentionality is, is really what it is. And some of you are probably in the room going, I can barely make ends meet. I don't doubt that. It's a wild economy right now in Denver. Have you tried to find a place to live? I mean, it's, it's, it's rough. And cities, and we've, we actually sat in a city council thing, and they talked about affordable housing, and they were just bad answers. <laughs> there, was just, there was just less and less affordable housing. And so I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. Maybe that means making room in your home for other people, and you've never thought of that before. Renting a room out, finding a way to, to help people get to a place where they can, I don't know. Uh, there's so much here. You, you know we're a part of the Family Shelter Initiative. And I guess to be honest with you, it was a rough um, sign-up last time, guys. I mean, it just was. It was hard to get everybody on board with that one. But this is like a phenomenal way for us to help three homeless families break the cycle of homelessness in their life. And when we, we do that, what, three, four times a year? Like, we can do this. We can do better at this. Um, and so when you reflect on this, what it looks like to have a generous mindset 
of moving, like the whole, the whole idea of the, the merry-go-round and getting sucked off of it. We talked about that a couple weeks ago and how really the best place is in the center. Jesus talks about what the center looks like. He talks about lending to the poor, not lending to the rich who can, you know, get some interest back in your lending to the poor, expecting nothing in return. If we come up with anyone in need, if we come upon anyone in need, we're to offer what we have to help. And according to the New Testament, we can't even claim to love God if we ignore the basic needs of people around us. It's just, these are hard things, these are, but these are in here. This is, these are the words of Jesus, and if we're going to be, be like Jesus, become like Jesus, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did in the world, then it has a lot to do with the poor. And this is what it looks like for a people to begin to submit to the reign of a self-sacrificial God. Okay? And becoming poor. This, this God that became poor, it, it actually means that there's, there's some intentionality behind that. One of, my, one of my favorite writers, a guy named N.T. Wright, wrote this. I'm going to throw this on the screen. What you do with money and possessions declares loudly what sort of a community you are. And the statement made by the early church's practice was clear and definite. No wonder they were able to give such a powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. So if you read in the early church and the sharing of possessions and the selling what they had and, and the feeding of orphans and widows and all of that happening... Was, was a declaration of the resurrection of Jesus. And people wanted to be a part of that. And so today, there's implications to this in your own life. I'm not going to dream those up for you. I don't know what that looks like for you. It's a conversation with you and your spouse, conversation with you and yourself, uh, but just about what's important, how intentional we are. They say, studies show that the, the richer, the more wealth you get, the less you actually give. It's like a fact. And because there's this, I was at an event yesterday with the Arvada Fire. Uh, some of you know I'm doing some police chaplaincy work, and we had a police chaplaincy booth there, and we're handing out hot dogs, and one of the guys that came by was a works for the city, and he says, you know, it's interesting in events like this, and it depends where they are in the city. So if this event happens, and this was out west where there's probably a little bit more economic uh, prosperity, and an event like this in this location, you watch the children. The children from pri primor primarily richer, more affluent families, if there's stuff given out that's free, they take everything they can get. He's like, you watch. Now, if we did this event in another part of Arvada that's a lot more poor, you can watch those kids, and they're just like, can I, can I have one? There's this mindset sometimes with affluence. That the more we have, the more we want to keep and get, the more we want to hold. And you go to some poorer communities, and the more... That's just a huge gift and a blessing. Now, I'm just saying this because I think there's some implications for us on how we do our finances, how we do our time, where we give, what we're intentional about, who we see and who we look over. All those things are really important. 
And I want to close with a poem. I know, right? I don't do poems often. And I didn't write it, so don't worry. It's a guy named Walter Brueggemann. And I just want you to, to see how we've spaced out this poem on the screen. I'll read it to you. Uh, we got to go to the, I think there's a beginning one. So it starts with on our own. Yeah, on our own, we conclude. There is not enough to go around. We are going to run short of money, of love, of grades, of publications, of sex, of beer, of members, of years, of life. We should seize the day, seize our goods, seize our neighbor's goods, because there is not enough to go around. And in the midst of our perceived deficit, you come. You come giving bread in the wilderness. You come giving children at the 11th hour. You come giving homes to exiles. You come giving futures to the shutdown. You come giving Easter joy to the dead. You come fleshed in Jesus. And we watch while the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor dance and sing. And we watch, we take food we did not grow and life we did not invent. And future that is a gift and a gift and a gift and families and neighbors who sustain us when we did not deserve it. It dawns on us late rather than soon that you give food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. By your giving, break our cycles of imagined scarcity. Override our presumed deficits. Quiet our anxieties of lack. Transform our perceptual field to see the abundance. Mercy upon mercy. Blessing upon blessing. And sink your generosity deep into our lives. That your muchness may expose our false lack that endlessly receiving we may endlessly give so that the world may be made Easter new without greedy lack, but only wonder, without coercive need, but only love, without destructive greed, but only praise, without aggression and invasiveness, all things Easter new, all around us, toward us, and by us, all things Easter new, Finish your creation in wonder, love, and praise.